Monica Watkins, co-founder of our anti-trafficking organization, Beauty for Freedom, and host of Breaking Distance, our podcast with the mission of connecting communities while igniting change. And today we are featuring an incredible human and dear friend to me personally and our organization, Beauty for Freedom, Mrs. Anna Patak, an international keynote speaker as well as an overcomer and policy consultant in the movement to end human trafficking. She has conducted speaking tours in both New York and California. Anna's story has been published internationally in editorials such as Asian Geographic and The Examiner. Welcome, Anna. We're so, you are such an inspiration. And uh, I know I didn't do justice to your bio. I couldn't fit it all on the page, actually. You have done so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a long time coming. Basically, I consider myself kind of the Indian version of Legally Blonde, um, Elle Woods, because even though I'm not an attorney, I focus a lot on the legal and policy side, but then I focus on the ethical fashion side as well. And so, um, and then I I talk kind of like Elle Woods sometimes too, but that's okay because she's fantastic. I launched a collection with a brand called Elegant Tees at New York Fashion Week. My role with that and just in designing is collaborating with different brands and designing pieces. I've collaborated with uh, Dressember, who raises millions of dollars to fight human trafficking every year, which was a huge honor, huge honor. I feel so privileged to work with them. On the legal side, I consult a lot of organizations and governmental agencies on different topics surrounding human trafficking. I went through a program called Mercy Multiplied, which is a home that helps women overcome issues. And one of them is human trafficking and all the other things I dealt with. So my program worked and people want to know kind of some consulting on that. But then I also focus a lot of my work on the link between pornography and sex trafficking. And actually that, that kind of leads me into my next question, which is you do a lot of work talking about the intersections. Can you expand on a little bit of the work that you've done there and also what your ideology is for those of our listeners that don't really understand? Because a lot of people just don't know how pornography can affect human trafficking, which creates hundreds of thousands of victims. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for asking. There is a huge link that I don't think really was understood until the past few years. So I remember maybe like six, seven years ago, I presented on it with, uh, I presented on it several times and I had people like before that they were like, oh, your story is not human trafficking. And then when they heard about the link, they were like, wait a second, I see the link now. I didn't understand. So for those who are kind of unaware of the link, we have human trafficking, which is defined as the, what is it? The forced fraud or coercion um, through the harboring, laboring, um, pretty much just the exploitation of people. And one of that can include sex and it can include labor trafficking and a bunch of different things. When it comes to pornography, you're profiting off of it. That's the exploitation factor. So that is in your profiting off a sexual act. So that in itself is sex trafficking. You're by legal definition, you have to be under the ages of 18, but in my opinion, age doesn't matter. Trafficking is trafficking, abuse is abuse. I'm not going to go tell some woman who was raped, or boy, or man, because it happens to both, um, that they weren't considered a victim of rape at age 26 because they don't fit a legal definition. I think that's insane. So that's one of the ways to understand it is that when you're profiting off of a sex act done in pornography, 
that is considered a form of human trafficking. Now, how it fuels demand, we have um, something that a lot of people don't understand is that when you watch pornography, the way your brain responds to it is the same way as when you do drugs. And so one, I think we need to be talking about this more in schools from a public health standpoint, because if we're talking about drugs, we should be talking about pornography. Now, how does that affect demand? Well, when imagine you're doing, you're smoking weed and you're just like, over time, you're like, that's just not enough. It's just not enough. Okay. I'm going to try cocaine. Ah, it's not enough. I need to do heroin. You become almost just adjusted and you need more and more. So now let's talk about pornography. You watch more softcore pornography. Over time, you're like, it's just not getting anymore. Let me watch something more hardcore until eventually you start buying a person. Then we have how it affects the age of people who are bought. So we'll see people who might start out buying pe- people at like, say, uh, they want an 18-year-old. Well, the 18-year-old isn't doing it for them anymore. And then we say, oh, they want a 16-year-old. And then we get down to babies, which breaks my heart as a new mom um, to a human child. Um, It's just, it's heartbreaking. But that's another link that pornography has with human trafficking is fueling the demand, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. I just think that many people just don't think about it in those terms. They're just thinking this is personally something that I want. It's not hurting anybody. And to be clear, I'm not talking about the men and women who want to be in pornography, who've given consent to the monetary part. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who were tricked. They were forced. Um, those kinds of people. And I mean, the other issue we have is people like, oh, well, they wanted to be in pornography, but did they agree to being profited off of? So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of legal elements that go into it, which make it really tricky because you hear so many people say like, oh, it's sexy to be in porn or it's, you know, they wanted to be in porn or Mm -hmm. something like that. So it's just, there's so many different elements to it. And what's really challenging is creating the data for that. It's so hard to tell if somebody wants to be in it or they're being exploited. So it's hard. We can't really produce numbers to support it, but we can produce stories. And um, right now with like Pornhub and Backpage and, you know, those types of things, we have these brave women. I'm not sure if men have come forward. I'm sure they're out there that have been affected by these, at least that I know personally, but uh, they're coming out and speaking out. And so now we're seeing people like, oh, well, man, there's a lot of people. And thank God we're in a culture that's starting to believe people have been sexually abused. It's starting to become normalized, which is fantastic. Believing survivors and validating their voices is becoming more popular, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. On a side note, it does relate in many ways to consent. Seeing the press conference just today about Governor Cuomo, the fact that he is going to be held accountable for sexually assaulting or harassing women that he's worked with. We're seeing more and more this wave of accountability. I think it brings a positive aspect to our work that we do in the anti-human trafficking field, that human trafficking, sexual violence, all of these things, perpetrators are being held to account more today than two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I think it's awesome. 
Um, and the other part that was hard to get pushed through was viewing pornography, seeing that mm. as a crime, because when you're viewing it, you're again, fueling the, com- if pe- you're fueling the demand, because if there was no viewers, then why would they make pornography? And so people being held accountable for having possession of child pornography, they may not be a part of the production side, but they're mm. being held accountable for possessing it. So it could be on their computers or, mm. or things like that. And um, I think it's great. What I would love to see happen is just get rid of that age factor of the 18 and under. I'm hoping at some point, maybe it could be extended to age 21. Mm-hmm. It baffles me that we don't trust youth to be responsible to dr- to drink responsibly until age 21 but we expect them to make you know wise decisions regarding sex by the age of 18 it just i don't know that's just me that's just what i think but um i would love to see the age factor go away and you know i want to see higher penalties for people who are newer to the subject mm. where you're like oh people are getting arrested well one it's hard to get them convicted. And if they get convicted half the time, it's like a slap on the back. Like it's nothing Mm -hmm. just they, um, or slap on the hand and they'll get maybe probation, maybe one to two years. Um, nothing significant, you know, but we're starting to see higher penalties and people Mm -hmm. being held accountable. Absolutely. You're an ethical fashion designer and creator and you're a strong advocate for sustainable fashion, what inspired you to become a designer and also an activist in the ethical fashion movement? It was so such an organic thing. It was such an organic thing. Like, um, as you know, I'm not afraid to reach out on social media and connect with people. And Great. I love <laughs> yeah. that. That's, I mean, yeah. that's actually how we met so many that's years ago. Oh, yeah. <gasps> yeah. And so I'm just not afraid to do it. And so I met Elegant Tees on Twitter, and um, we started chatting, and then we did a photo shoot together. And they were like, "I told them, I said it's just a dream to design clothes or something, or would you guys be open to it?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." And um, so we did it. We did that collection. But um, I mean, growing up, fashion was always a way I used to express myself. Like I would follow trends, but I would do my own spin on it. And so that was always a lot of fun but then it just kind of evolved from that so then people saw I design with them and then they reached out they're like do you want to do this or that or this or that and it's just kind of been very organic and I'm just thankful for the opportunities but I love the creative element of mm. it and just making something beautiful but I try to make sure everything that I do empowers women mm. and um empowers like their bodies and does and stuff like that so um yeah, it's been just such a blessing and I treasure those experiences. That's amazing. I love, well, everything that you do is empowering. You're very generous and giving and thoughtful. And you're oh, always, thanks. even with Beauty for Freedom, like we wouldn't even be where we are today without you because you've helped us to create partnerships with amazing organizations. I'm super grateful for you. And I just want our listeners and our viewers to know that about you, that term overcomer versus survivor of human trafficking, how you choose to incorporate your story into the work that you do. I would love to get your thoughts there. I know it's got to be really hard to share your story in a way that feels empowering even to yourself. 
because there's so many people that unfortunately will take the opportunity to in some ways re-exploit you? Yeah. So the reason, one, I think the word survivor is very empowering. I have no problem with anybody using it for sure. Um, but I choose the word overcomer. So another, I'm big on comparisons. So imagine you just got into a car accident and you get into the car accident and it's fresh and it's new. And they're like, Oh, you're a victim of the car accident. So you have to go to the hospital cause you're injured and everything. And then you have to have surgery. And then maybe a few months or a year down the road, they're like, Oh man, you survived it. You're a survivor of that car wreck. Well, 10 years down the road when it doesn't really affect you anymore, but it's a story to tell that's when you've overcome it. And so I think that there's a lot of, you know, you for so long, I identified myself in my story and my work in my story. And now I don't identify it as much. Um, and I think that something that's really important if you're working with um, overcomers is making sure you treat them as experts mm-hmm. because like one time I ha- I spoke at an event and they raised like over $100,000 and they're like, sorry, we can't afford to pay you to mm. speak. And then I was like, but I'm an expert and stuff. And at that point I didn't know how to use my voice. But, um, and then there's been times where I'll go speak on a panel and they'll pay everybody but me. And mm. um, I don't find this out till later. Because they're like, oh, you're just, you know, they use you for your story. And so that's when we're talking about the re-exploitation of sharing your story. That's where that comes from. Um, and so, Or using it without your consent. And um, mm-hmm. like a really big example, popular example, is the Centoya Brown story. She is, her story is public. It's very well known. Uh, but they made a Netflix series or a video documentary about her. And she did not it was not authorized by her mm. um, or anything. And so, and if since that's re-exploitation. It's such a shame because, well, I was actually having a conversation on our last podcast recording with another overcomer that I've actually worked with before previously in one of our workshops. And just th- the fact that you said uh, overcomers should be treated as experts because that's exactly who you are. You're an expert in the field because you've actually lived through it. And also the value of being able to have an overcomer work for you in your corporation, your business, large or small, what the value is of life experiences lived and also compassion for others. I'm so sorry that those things happened to you. I'm so sorry that those things have happened to her. Have you ever felt or had a moment when you, even in a, a working situation where you didn't want to share? I work at a job that has nothing to do with um, human trafficking, which is kind of refreshing. And uh, they had um, a Bible study. And so I spoke at it and then I, and I had a great time. It was awesome there. It's just an amazing company. But when um, I remember I was like, what if they see me have a bad day? Are people just going to say, oh, it's because she went through trauma and stuff like that? Like, you know, is that what I'm going to be known for or, or whatever? And luckily, it's just such an amazing company that's not judgmental at all. And um, so I think those instances where you're just kind of like, oh, is this what they're going to see me for? Or is this what they're going to judge me by? But mm. you start to not care what people think. So <laughs> that's kind of 
where I'm at. But um, what gets frustrating is when you pitch yourself as an expert. And then when you like, I'll, I remember I would, this happened so many times. I would tell them everything that I've done. And then they'd be like, Oh, well, what's your story? Mm. Or, or this happens quite often. They get disappointed in your story. They get disappointed because they expect some like sensationalized idea. Cause that's all that goes in the news is these, is the extreme cases. And, mm. um, you know, and then also another issue we have is that a lot of not a lot of people talk about labor trafficking, and it's usually all about mm-hmm. sex trafficking. So we have that issue, but um, but yeah, that gets really frustrating. But yeah, when they're disappointed, or you'll see people who will make friends with you. It's weird. They want to be your friend because you were trafficked. It's like almost like whoa, this person's unique or whatever, and then it wears off and. I noticed that a lot when I was doing helping a non I was interning at a nonprofit mm-hmm. about um in their donors and stuff like that. And um you it's just we also see this with volunteers a lot too. They'll get involved thinking, I'm dealing with a girl who's been kidnapped. I'm gonna mm-hmm. be her savior or I'm gonna this and then they hear these stories and they're not these sensationalized stories and then you lose volunteers because mm-hmm. it's just like they I remember there was this nonprofit and they explained that in the training. They were like, listen you're not going to be working with this, this, and this. And they're like, if this is not what you're here for, then just, you know, we appreciate your support, but like, this might not be a good fit for you. So it's just a lot of frustration there. Yeah. Um, I've, I've worked with a lot of overcomers or survivors that basically have told me that they felt so abused and used by organizations that just want to put them out there to tell their story so that they can get more donors. And it's appalling to me. Yeah. If I was paid, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But one time, like, yeah, like it's just when they're raising so much money and then they're like, sorry, we can't pay you. Or here's like a little gift card to Starbucks or something Yeah, like that's crazy to me. But, um, I had, I've had some crazy situations, but one of them, I, it was actually at my school mm. uh, at college and um, they had this huge, uh, women's and genders uh, conference or something. There was a statewide one. And I originally had been asked to speak, but I was so busy traveling. I just knew I couldn't present. I just knew I wouldn't have time, but I wanted to attend. So I attended the little seminar on um, sex trafficking. And I went up to the front and introduced myself to the panelists because I knew a few of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one of the panelists got up to present. And I was like, why does she look so nervous? I mean, she was nervous. And her whole um presentation was on lgbtq population and how the church has mistreated them all of a sudden she's going through the presentation and my face pops up the entire slide was my face and <gasps> i was like you don't even what I, yeah and the girl who knows me on the panel she's like change the slide change the slide change the slide and um it was crazy. And then I went up to her and I was like, you will take my picture out of your presentation. And I was so frustrated because it's like, I'm a Christian and I love everybody. Everybody has their own beliefs as to what they, you know, support and what they don't support, but you'll never say, sit me here to be cool to someone. Or it was like a complete misinterpretation of who I am. And 
like if you're gay or queer, whoever, you are always welcome in my life and stuff mm. like that. And I was just like, what the heck? So not only did she use it without my permission, she mis like she misrepresented me. And then she was a survivor of sexual assault and stuff. And like, so then I knew why she was so nervous because I, she recognized me and I was in her presentation. Yes, yeah, it was bad. Wow. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh it my was goodness. bad. Um, I was so upset, but now I would probably shake it off better. But at that point, my identity was so much in my story. I mean, I was like, I lost it, but mm. yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Mm. Well, you are your policy consultant and you've testified in front of constituents and advised legal and political figures, including the president of Malta. I had no idea about that doing research on you. I was like, wow. She's, yeah, she's the best. She's the best. She's not in office anymore, but she really cared. She really, really cared. And um, we met with her and just told her like what's going on in Malta. And she was like, how can we make a difference? How can we make changes and stuff like that? And it was, I felt very privileged to be there. But uh, yeah, I love the legal side. I think law mm. is so much fun. I watch sentencing videos for fun. <laughs> I'm, such a, I'm on YouTube and it's like, this person's sentencing. And I'm like, oh, I want to hear what they said and all that. And I'm such a dork. I'm such oh, a dork. No, like everybody no. has like, there's data geeks. There's like people who love sports. And I'm just the one who loves law. So yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. Yeah. But you assisting in drafting policy related to human trafficking. It's one of the things that I admire most about you because you're out there on the front lines and you're helping to create this policy that's changing the world. It's a lot of fun. It just took a lot of work to get people to listen and get people to understand it's a real issue. And then you also have politicians who are involved in human trafficking. So like you may not know it, but like they're probably the ones that are most resistant to change. What we really need to focus on is like we have the federal laws, but we really need to focus on these state laws. Um, so that's, that's the trick because in the legal system, you're only like the federal laws only apply in certain cases and then you have the state laws. But, um, so like if say someone is trafficking women and they don't cross state lines, then they're held accountable to the state laws. And if the state laws are not adequate, I mean, there's our issue. So we really need to increase these state laws, but hopefully with these federal laws, if we can get them stronger then the state politicians will follow along with that. Mm. So for those of you who don't understand the legal system, there's another little fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're seeing that even with the voter suppression laws that are out there. I think that's when a lot of people realize that like federal and state laws have different power. And if the state laws aren't in place, then sometimes they render the federal laws inept. It's a great thing about our democracy. And it's also like a very sad thing about our democracy is that we don't across the board have every state with certain policies in regards to human rights. They're not on like a level playing field. I think we're all getting an education in that. We really all need that because then we can realize how much like our vote really counts. Having people that have our backs, our voices at the forefront of their thoughts and the policy that they're creating in the name of us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) It's really important. Your faith has such a huge impact on your personal mission in life. And you speak about that. I'm 
a Christian. I will put my hand up. I gladly say that. I know the reason that I'm here, who I am and whose I am. That's what they say in the South. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're from Texas. Yes. Um, Yeah, we say that in the South. Faith is the whole basis for what I do and how I think. And um, I think that my faith is definitely the reason that I didn't find my identity in my story, or I finally stopped is because I find my identity in what God says about me and that can't change and it's not affected by anything else. So I think that, and then just, you know, loving everybody and wanting to, you know, advocate for everyone. And, um, you know, I think that's just a big thing, but then also believing that God has a plan and that if I really trust God, things are going to happen that are bigger than me. My favorite quote is, um, by Mark Crow and is if your dream can be done without God, it's not big enough. And so I just always live by that because I just think it's so true. So if I didn't believe in the things I believe, then I don't think there'd be any hope in what I do. Because there's so many closed doors. There's so many, I don't believe yous. There's so many this. But when you believe that God can really tear down those doors and make things happen, then it gives you hope in what, in some, like in a role that is really hard to see progression. Um, It's very hard. (laughs) It's very hard. Like people hear about human trafficking. They're like, why aren't there changes being made? This is obviously a crime. I'm like, you don't understand. It is so hard. You know, you just became a new mom. Congratulations on your beautiful baby girl. Thank you. How do you feel that your perspective as an activist, a person that's really out there, boots on the ground doing this work, has changed since you became a mom? Oh, man, I definitely cannot read stories about babies being trafficked anymore. Like, I can't do it. Mm. Like, before I could do it, and I can't anymore. And um, I'm really like, you know, I've talked about how to talk about pornography with your kids and stuff. And I'm like, well, I got to be held accountable to myself too. And I'm just like, how am I going to talk to her about it? What does that look like? Mm. Like, it's so different when you're going to have to do it yourself or, and then I'm constantly like, I'm, I'm such a mama bear. I don't know. Like I just keep an eye on her even more than other people because I just see predators more often or like I could pick up Mm. if someone's a predator more easily. Mm. And so you're constantly, you just constantly trying to find ways to keep her safe. And, um, when you know as much as I do, you're kind of like, that's a lot, you know, there's, there's so many things that could be dangerous. There's so many things like, I'm like, Mm. cars aren't safe. And then I'm like, well, the ocean's not safe for this, you know, just everything. I'm like, it's not safe. I think about there's a Grey's Anatomy episode when Callie has her baby and she's leaving, um, the hospital and, finally with her baby and she's just crying. She's like, the car's not safe. This is not safe. That's not safe. And they're like, if you become a parent. So um, it's hard having all this knowledge, but it's at the same mm-hmm. time, it's a good thing because it'll help me protect her. Uh, mm-hmm. And then also, you know, I want to share her on social media, but at the same time, I'm trying to practice what I preach about being, you know, intentional because some people post every single thing about their kids and they're the parent. They get to make that choice. That's totally respectable because that's their choice. Mm-hmm. But I think some I don't want to share everything in the world because I'm trying to protect my child and I know what can happen. Something if you're a mom listening is something that you may not even think about is like when you post that first day of school thing, like half the time they post, it says like on the little sign they hold and it'll say like, 
favorite food, favorite who their teacher's name is, what school they're going to, like all these things. And I'm like, it's cute, but do you realize how much information you're giving out about your child? Mm. And then, um, like, I think on Instagram, like I only put my daughter's first and last name because you'd know her last name, but like, I didn't put her middle name and I try not to really post about her. Um, maybe every now and then, but there are some people who post every little detail about their kids. And I'm like, if they're close enough to me, I say something. I'm like, Hey, like, have you considered this part? But, um, Mm -hmm. just as parents being mindful and then they'll be like, Oh, well, the only people on my Facebook are my friends. And I'm like, okay, but what if your friend posts a picture of their child or they share it or something like that, then their friends have, you know, access to that information about their kid. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's so hard. It's so yeah. hard. Social media, the great thing about it is that it can be this forum for the people that you love to be able to share information, especially, you know, since we're so far apart and because we've been farther apart because of the pandemic, yeah. a lot of people only have social media to kind of share those moments in their lives and their children's lives with their loved ones. But I think people aren't really thinking about how other people that are predators think because they're taking notes. I think that's a great point. I think it's a really important point. Once again, it's like everybody has a choice on how they present themselves on social media, but many people aren't informed And I think, you know, a lot of people also didn't realize how children can be trafficked from every community, every cross section of life. They can be kidnapped from anywhere at any time. You know, there are people out there that target your children, no matter where you're from, even being from like an affluent uh, neighborhood or back, that doesn't make you immune to human traffickers. You have to find that balance of, being protective and watching everything <laughs> yeah, and also letting your kid kind of live. And I think, you know, that's every parent's struggle, really. It is. It for sure is. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just wanted you to kind of share with our listeners, our viewers, the projects that you have coming up and how we can be of support If you want to just keep up with my work, just follow me on Instagram. That's the best place to learn more about what I do. It's Mrs. Anna Patak. And you can follow me and learn more about what I do there and just get updates through there. Because I'm hoping to launch my blog. Um, I have a blog that I want to create, but I just don't know when. Because when you're a new mom working full time, it's very time consuming. So um, that you can just follow any updates there on my Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today. You know, we're going to include your social media link in the liner notes of the podcast. But I just, I want to thank you so much for always being such a support to Beauty for Freedom and also to other organizations, ethical brands. I see all the things that you're doing are so positive and uplifting for everyone else. Of course, of course. I'm big on collaboration because one person cannot end human trafficking unless you're God. Um, but uh, so exactly. we need each other. And God is we, working on it. God is working on, on it. Yeah, it's gonna happen. But yeah, yeah. So, but thanks for having me. This has been fun. Absolutely. So please subscribe to Breaking Distance. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Simplecast, and our website, beautyforfreedom.org. You can follow us on social 
media on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Beauty for Freedom, all spelled out, and Twitter at the number four freedom. Stay tuned for upcoming Breaking Distance episodes. We look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking, sincere, and transparent programming soon. Breaking Distance. Connecting communities. Igniting change.